Well, last week we started a new sermon series that we're calling Songs for the Journey, Songs for the Journey. And what we saw is that with these little set of psalms in the back of this altar that we call the songs, the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134, God is reminding us that we are a pilgrim people. We are people who are on the road. The life of faith with Jesus is not a life of settling down. It's not a stationary life. It's not a life of spiritual stagnation, but it is a life of pursuit. It's a life of movement. It's a life of pilgrimage. It's a life on the road. To use Paul's language, we are straining forward to what lies ahead, pressing towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3. So these songs are our playlist for the journey. They teach us how to sing along our pilgrimage, how to navigate the ups and downs and the twists and the turns and how to endure and how to keep going and how to persevere and how to not lose hope. They are songs for the journey. So last week we began our journey with Psalm 120 and we saw that the journey always begins with restlessness. You have to get restless and frustrated with the state of the world if you're going to pack up your bags and follow Jesus on the road. And today, Psalm 121, we're on the road. We're singing what's called, what I'm calling today, the guardian song. And what we learn on Psalm 121 is that as soon as we hit the road, we hit trouble. As soon as we hit the road, we hit trouble. And this is my big thought for today, if you want to write this down. This, the road ahead, the road that we're on is filled with trouble, but we have a guardian who is greater than any trial. The road is filled with trouble, but we have a guardian who is greater than any trial. So here's my, my three points for today. And we're going to start with talking about the trouble on the road, the trouble that we inevitably face as pilgrims. Second, we're going to talk about the temptation on the road. And then finally, we're going to talk about who we can trust on the road. So trouble on the road, temptation on the road, and trust on the road. So let's start with that first point, trouble on the road. Let me, let me read to you uh, from Eugene Peterson's book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Listen, listen to this and see if it resonates with you. The moment we say no to the world and yes to God, all our problems are solved. All our questions are answered. All our troubles are over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of the soul at peace with God. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. We Christians are among the privileged company of persons who don't have accidents, who don't have arguments with our spouses, who aren't misunderstood by our peers, and whose children do not disobey us. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Peterson goes on to say this. Is this what you believe? If it is, I have some incredibly good news for you. You are wrong. You're wrong. Now, this, concept, this myth of, of the trouble-free Christian life is indeed that. It's a myth. It's a lie. Unfortunately, it's a pretty prevalent lie in American Christianity, which often has been closely wedded with the American dream. 
Uh, it's this uh, vision of God as the great benefactor who exists uh, to give us the life we've always wanted, a life of health and happiness. Happiness. It's a mix of optimism and positivity. Friends, not only is this a lie, but it is a recipe for the collapse of your faith. Uh, I just read a, a really w- beautiful novel from a first-time novelist, um, Kara Wall, called The Beloved. And in this book, that one of the main characters is named Nan, and she's a devout Christian, Presbyterian, no less. Um, but her dream is to be a mother. Her dream is to have a baby. Uh, and after many years of trying, she discovers she just can't. She's, in, she's not able to have a child. And she is tormented. She says to herself, I'm good. I'm good. And God is supposed to give me a child. What happened? Her faith is thrown into question. See, Christianity without the gospel without grace is basically moralism. It's basically a first cousin to karma, right? If I do what I'm supposed to do, if I'm good, then God will give me the good life. He will reward me. But if something is wrong, if life is going bad, if life is going terribly, it must be because God is mad. It must be because he's punishing me, or it may be because he's not even there at all. This has sent many people over the precipice of doubt. But Psalm 21 comes to the rescue because it tells us the truth. It tells us that there is trouble on the road. As soon as we hit the road of discipleship, we find that the road is full of trouble. It is hard. It is treacherous. It is full of threats. This is why it's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. The Bible is so realistic about the harsh and difficult realities of the life that we all live. The life of faith does not exempt us from trouble. We are not immune from pain. In fact, Jesus seems to say on many occasions that being his follower even creates more trouble than if we were not. The life of the pilgrim is a life of trouble and trial. Psalm 121 unpacks what some of these trials are using highly poetic and symbolic language. Multiple kinds of dangers on the road. Just look with me at the psalm for a moment. Verse 3, the psalmist mentions the danger of our feet slipping. Have you ever been on a hike up uh, a mountainous terrain with loose gravel and you know how quickly and frequently your foot can slip and maybe even sprain your ankle? This is an allusion to the things that trip us up on the road. It's possibly even an allusion to our own stumbling. Many troubles that you will encounter on the road of discipleship, on the road of life, actually you bring on yourself through your own failures, your own mistakes, your own sin, your own lack of self-control. I can tell you, you can ask my family, instead of making things easier, through my own fault, I often make things worse. That's the danger of my own stumbling. Verse six, we see the danger of the sun. Traveling in the Middle East through the mountain regions, you would experience this long exposure to this oppressive heat that could leave you faint or leave you dead. It's really dangerous out there, the psalmist is saying, on this journey. The Bible says that because of sin, the world is tragically broken, moving all the time toward disintegration and death, and we see it every day. Instead of order and justice and peace and joy, every day we see disorder and frustration and injustice and death. The world is falling apart around us, and we experience that in our personal lives, our work, our families our relationships, 
even our church, certainly our common public life. Everything is, nothing is the way it's supposed to be. There's the danger of the sun, the, the world itself. And not only that, verse six, there's the danger of the moon. The moon to ancient people uh, was not a romantic thing. It was actually considered a perilous and evil thing. In fact, um, you might have noted this before that the word lunatic uh, or lunacy comes from the root word luna, which means moon. The moon was considered to be a, was, it was an ominous and perilous and evil force that could send a person into insanity. And, and what the Bible teaches for us Christians, we can apply it this way, that the, 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 the Bible says that there is actually a foe, a personal force of evil called the Satan, who seeks to undo us and destroy us and divide us. First Peter says this, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So there's not just the evil of the light, but the evil of the dark. And so there you go. That's our reality. Martin Luther often said, we have three terrible enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all three are conspiring to destroy us. There's this, there's the, this destructive heat of the broken world. There's the stumbling of our own sinful flesh. There's the dark and ominous threat of the devil himself. There's things outside of us. There's things inside of us. There's things in the world. There's things in our heart. That is our journey. It is trouble, friends. You never know what's going to come around the bend. You never know what force or attack or accident or perilous danger might attack. Life is profoundly insecure, deeply uncertain, highly unstable. There is serious trouble on the road. Don't you know that more now than ever? There's trouble on the road. What's your trouble right now? I just want to invite you to think of that right now with me. This is a participatory part of the sermon. Think of a problem in your life. Just think of a problem in your life right now. Think of a, it could be big, it could be small. It could be a big public problem like our, our racial conflict or, or a fallout from the coronavirus. It could be something very small or something very deeply personal that only you or someone close to you knows about. But think, think of it. Think of a problem in your life. It's probably not hard to think of. In a really strange way, the psalm comforts you and says, it's okay. Nothing's wrong. You're not weird. You're not cursed. You're not lost. God's not mad at you. God hasn't turned his back on you. This is what a faithful pilgrim can expect on the road. Trouble. And the trouble is, the big trouble is, not the trouble itself, but what you do with it. And that leads us to our second point. Because there's not just trouble on the road, there's temptation on the road. When we're in trouble, what do we do? We want to ask for help. And you see verse 1, the psalmist says this, I lift my eyes up to the hill, where does my help come from? Now imagine this with me, on a journey to the, the mountain of Jerusalem, uh, the pilgrim would have to travel through mountainous and hilly regions. And these mountains and hills were often the places where the Canaanites established their places of worship. Canaanites were nature worshipers. They build their temples and shrines in the hills, temples to Baal and Ashtoreth. And there up on the mountains, they would worship their gods and engage in sacrifice and cult prostitution. And anyone at any time could go up to these shrines and go up to these mountains 
in acts of worship that promise to help you and give you good luck and, and maybe protect you from evil. So you can imagine the temptation that a traveling Israelite would face along the road. You know, just, just, just think, put yourself in his or her shoes, you know, traveling along, feeling anxious, feeling afraid. And you've got these invitations up in the hills. Are you afraid of the sun's heat? Go up to the sun priest and pay for protection against the sun god. Are you afraid of the evil power of the moon? Go to the lunar priestess and buy an amulet that you can wear around your neck. Are you afraid of stumbling and falling? Go to the shrine and learn the spell that wards off trouble. So you see, when the psalmist asks, where does my help come from? He's saying, should I look to the hills? Should I look to Baal? Should I look to Ashtoreth? Should I look to the sun priest or the lunar priestess? In contrast to the God of Israel, who is invisible and kind of hard to get your arms around, these gods in the hills are, are real. They're present. They're concrete, accessible. They seem so seemingly helpful. But the psalmist says, it's always a lie. It's always a disappointment. The gods in the hills will always leave you vulnerable. They will always leave you in ruins. So friends, here's my question to you. What and who do you turn to when you are in trouble? Who do you turn to for help? Here is the truth that we all have gods in the hills that we run to. We all have our gods in the hills. For us modern Americans, you know, we're not tempted by Baal and Ashtoreth. But make no mistake, friends, we have plenty of gods. We have plenty of false gods that we turn to for help. What are yours? A big one for us Americans is money. A big one for many of us. Money promises security, promises protection. It promises the control over our environment that we want. If I have enough, I can believe that my trouble will actually go away. For many of us, our gods are work. You know, when we're in trouble, many of us just work harder go after the problem, attack it with all of our might. I could just work my way out of trouble. For many of us, it's food or sleep or alcohol or some other place we find our comfort. Sometimes when we don't know what to do, what we most want to do is just ignore our trouble with something that makes us feel like our trouble is going away. So who do you look to most for help? What gives you a sense of security when you feel insecure? What gives you the greatest comfort when you feel alone? What gives you the greatest assurance when you are afraid? What are the gods in your hills that you run to for help? I'll just be honest with you about myself. Uh, for me, when I face trouble or problem on the road, my first reaction, <laughs> I feel kind of embarrassed telling you this, my first reaction, more than prayer, more than crying out to God for help, is to, is to work really hard to attack it with my own ingenuity and capacity to solve the problem. And so this is what I do. I work really, really hard. I throw all of my energy, all my capacity. I attack it with all my might. And what inevitably happens is that I can't actually solve the problem. And so then what I do, then I despair. Then I go to my comfortable place of depression. I take a nap in my bed or I find out what movie I can watch on Netflix. It's a classic fight or flight syndrome that all of us tend towards when we face trouble, fight or flight. For me, for gifted people like me, I can do both simultaneously. <laughs> the psalmist says, the gods of the hills cannot protect you because at the root, all of our gods are basically a dependence on self. We want to believe we're self-reliant. 
We want to believe that any problem we face, we can beat on our own. We don't want to be one of those people. We don't want to be a burden to other people. We want to believe that we can do it, but it's a lie. We are strong, but we're not strong enough. We are smart, but we're not smart enough. We are rich, but we're not rich enough. The world, the flesh, the devil, our enemies are so numerous and so terrible that there is trouble that you cannot solve on your own. And no God you look to, money, power, control, work, anything in creation can possibly come to your aid. It will leave you vulnerable. It will leave you ruined. Don't look to the hills. So who do we look to for help? Who do we trust on the road? That's our final point, trust on the road. And the pilgrim preaches to us. The pilgrim considers the mountain, but he checks himself. He says, you know, I'm, I won't look to the mountains. I look to the one who made the mountains. I won't look to creation. I will look to the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is our protector. He alone is our help. The word that this pilgrim uses for God over and over again is the Hebrew word shemar, which sometimes is translated guardian, which sometimes is translated keeper. He uses it six times in eight verses God is your keeper. God is your guardian. He's your protector from stumbling. He never sleeps. He's your keeper from the perilous sun. He is your shade. He's the guardian from the evil of the night. He is your protector from every trouble, from night to day, from known to unknown, from troubles within to troubles without. God is our guardian from the totality of trouble that threatens to destroy us. He alone, he alone can give you rest. Apparently, Alexander the Great was a champion sleeper. Uh, he could sleep anywhere, in any condition. He could go into deep, deep REM sleep. And this was a great mystery to many people. How here is a man with so many troubles, so many enemies, so many threats, so many anxieties, so many people who wanted him dead. How is he able to sleep so well, and on one occasion, someone asked Alexander the Great, how can you do this, man? And he simply said this, Parmenio, my chief bodyguard, the strongest and mightiest of all his guards, of all his soldiers, Parmenio would stand over Alexander as he slept. He did not slumber. He did not sleep. So Alexander could deeply sleep himself. Friends, how much more can we rest and sleep secure knowing that the one who stands over us is the maker of heaven and earth? He will not let anything harm or destroy you. He is your guardian. He is your keeper. You know, this word keeper is the same word, shamar. It's the same word that Cain used when God came to him after he murdered his brother Abel. And you remember what Cain said? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's guardian? He denied responsibility for his own blood. And friends, that may have happened to you. Someone who was tasked to be your keeper may have failed you and abandoned you. But God 
will never abandon you. He never denies responsibility for you. He is faithful. He always knows where you are. He is with you when you leave. He's with you when you go. He's with you when you arrive. He is never distracted. He never loses sight of you. He never nods off. He never turns away. Even a parent may fall asleep at the side of her sick child, but the Lord is never weary, never inattentive, never closes his eyes, never loses sight of the conditions of his people. His gaze is fixed on you. He loves you. He keeps you. Rest in him. But this may raise a question for you. Well, what do you mean? I know plenty of Christians who stumbled, who have been harmed, who have undergone massive losses, who've suffered, who've had terrible accidents, who've endured painful deaths. If this psalm is saying that with God as our guardian, no harm or difficulty can befall us, well, I don't know about you, but my experience doesn't match that. But let's go back to where we started. Let's be clear, immunity from trouble and exemption from pain is never the promise of the Bible. It's not the promise of the psalm. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, the promise of the psalm is not that we shall ever stub, never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us or be able to separate us from God's love and God's purposes in us. That's the promise of the psalm. Not that we won't stumble or not that we won't have heat or not that the dark evil of the night won't affect us. The promise of the psalm is that God's constant faithfulness is certain in an uncertain world. It means that even if you stumble, even if you get sun scorched, even if sorrows like sea billows roll, no matter what you might lose, no matter what you might face, God is faithful from everything that could truly destroy you from everything that could dislodge you from God's love or God's good purposes for you, from everything that could send you on the path to destruction, God protects you, God upholds you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He is your keeper. How do you know? Because of Jesus. We have what this psalmist does not have. We have the clear revelation of God's love for us in Jesus. And think of Jesus on his own road. Think of how he faced our troubles with us. He faced the hatred of people. He faced the rejection of his own family and friends. He faced the misunderstanding of others. He endured horrific attacks of evil and Satan himself. He ultimately surrendered his life to torture and betrayal and suffering and death. And in this one singular case, the guardian abandoned him. Abandoned him to evil, to hell, to judgment, to face the totality of evil and death for us. He suffered for us. He rose for us. He guaranteed that no evil or darkness can ever harm us, that nothing again can separate us from the love of God. Donald Barnhouse was a preacher, was a pastor of a church in Philadelphia. And when his wife was just in her 30s, she died of cancer. And he was on the way home from the funeral and his little children were in the back seat of the car just sort of stunned and shocked and pain and bewilderment and he was just trying to stump trying to think of something to, to offer to them to comfort to them and at that moment uh, a huge moving van drove by their car and its shadow passed over their car and barnhouse turned around to his children at the stoplight and said kids 
Would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of the truck? And the kid said, the shadow daddy. Uh, to which Barnhouse replied, 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus so that only the shadow of death passed over mommy. She is safe. She's safe. And that's our reality, that Jesus endured evil. Jesus endured death. Jesus endured the scorching of the sun. Jesus endured the horrific evils of the night. Jesus endured all of this. So we only ever have to face its shadow. Nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from the love of God. Even in death, we are safe. You're kept. So remember that problem I asked you to think about in the beginning? Bring it back to mind, that problem that you thought of. And here's, here's what you can do. I, I do this multiple times a day because I often just feel like I can't make it without his help. You first just admit your helplessness. You say to God, you know, you know I'm, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't solve this. I don't know what to do. You just, sometimes I even just hold out my palms open like this to God and just admit, I don't know what to do. I need your help. The trouble's too big. You admit your helplessness. And then I just turn my hands over and I entrust my trouble to my guardian. I entrust my trouble to the keeper. And that may be the hardest thing for you that, because honestly, sometimes we wonder like, why would God even care about this? I mean, God's like running the universe. Why would he care about my little trial, my little trouble? It's sort of like asking like, you know, an expert surgeon to put Neosporin on my paper cut. Does he really care about my little soap opera life? But this is the promise that the one who made the mountains made you. The one who keeps the mountains, keeps the sparrows, keeps you. That there is no problem in your life so big, so small, that he will not be deeply interested in and will not weave into his great and good purposes for your life. That is his promise sealed for you in Jesus. You are safe in him. So friends, here's the message of Psalm 121. The journey ahead is hard and full of trouble. This is what you can expect as a pilgrim. You will face hardships and headaches, trials and temptations. You will experience the scorching of midday and the evils of the night. You will have a broken heart. You will have a broken body. And in the end, your body will expire of its breath and it will be put into the cold ground. But here's the promise. You are kept. You're safe. You were never promised a comfortable life. You were promised a protected life. You were not promised a well-cushioned life. You were promised a well-guarded life. And this is what you've been given in Jesus. You are preserved by God, known by God, ruled by God, loved by God, accompanied by God. No matter what happens, no matter what doubts you face, no matter what accidents you experience, no matter what horrors you feel, no matter what comes, no matter what sorrows endure, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your guardian. You are kept in his love. We're about to sing this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word 
will fell him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he endured all of the worst suffering, all of the worst stumbling, all of the worst scorching, all of the worst darkness and evil, that he endured all of it on his pilgrimage to Jerusalem so that our, on our pilgrimage we can be kept safe. We pray that for our trials and troubles that we face together this week, that you would give us faith to know that you are our keeper, our guard, that you look on us with love, that you never slumber, and that you never sleep. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.